And hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Way of the Truth Warrior. My name is David Whitehead, and today it is Monday, May the 23rd, 2022. And I have uh, a gentleman with me that I think you're really going to love listening to. His name is Mike Donio. And we are going to get into everything to do with why we shouldn't just blindly trust the science, the whole, his thoughts on the pandemic, monkey pox, everything. We're going to get into a whole bunch. So for those of you who don't know who Mike is, Mike holds a bachelor degree in biochemistry, molecular biology with a minor in chemistry from the university of Massachusetts. I always have trouble with Mass Massachusetts and a master's degree in biotechnology with a concentration in biotechnology enterprise from John Hopkins university. He is an accomplished scientist with 20 years of experience in the biotech and pharmaceutical industry. His unique experience spans from working under top infectious diseases doctors on HIV research to a senior scientist developing antibodies to treat cancer. And due to his deeply held religious beliefs, he was let go from his most recent role for not complying with the COVID vaccine policy. So let's bring the man in. <laughs> there he is. Mike. How you doing, man? Thank you so much for reaching out to me. And we finally got this scheduled. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for joining me on Truth Warrior, man. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. It's it's awesome to be here. Well, where would you like to begin? Because there's so much going on. Everybody's got, we've been following this thing happening in our world, this uh, pandemic, pandemic, whatever, for the past two years. I've been covering numerous angles on it. Um, I know there's certain things you can't really get into right now, but what can you share maybe just about your background, a little bit more expansive from what I read there? And then, you know, what led you to where you are now, where you're speaking out, um, you're kind of challenging the status quo, and, uh, and, and we can kind of go from there. Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess I went into being a scientist with what I would think was good intentions and with the idea that I was going to, you know, do something good and that I had a certain perception of what I thought science was and what, what was done in, in labs and everything. And, you know, so it wasn't that I went in with the intention. I think there's a lot of people that go in and try to, with just simply the idea of I'm going to make a name for myself or I'm going to do this or that. I mean, I really believe I, I had an interest in this stuff and an interest in truth. And I've always been kind of a skeptic. And so, you know, I started out in, in, um, an academic lab studying HIV after I completed my, my undergrad degree and did that for a couple of years. And, you know, again, never really thought I'd get into industry, never really liked the pharma industry or anything. Um, and just one thing led to another, and I happened to, to jump in there um, after doing the HIV research for a couple of years, spent a number of years in, in pharma, and then from there went to a contract research organization. This is one of these companies. So a lot of companies, big and small companies, like to outsource stuff nowadays. And so there's whole companies that will contract with other companies and do their work for them essentially, which creates a whole other mess. Um, and then for whatever reason, I decided after that to jump back into kind of discovery 
science and wound up in the biotech industry in kind of the oncology space. And that's where I kind of last left off, spent um, the last six or so years as a, as a scientist at a company developing antibodies to, to treat cancer. And uh, that kind of came to a pretty abrupt end in, um, what was it, September, October of, of last year, when, uh, as most of the industry was, was doing and is still kind of doing, they the company that I was working for decided to ratchet things up and force everybody to take the, the vaccine. And, um, you know, it was kind of a combination of me doing my own research because I don't trust what other people tell me. You tell me to take an experimental drug. I'm not going to just do it. I, I had, plus I had some familiarity with the, with the technology and I was kind of like, I don't really think I want to be, or anybody should be putting something like this into them, at least without a thorough investigation. And then well, Mike, just to pause you there, um, thinking for yourself in today's science, apparently in the science that's illegal and you're not allowed to do it. You know, isn't that, Oh yeah. You're poking your head up. You're, you're a scientist investigating these things and you're thinking for yourself and one science group over there is saying something and you're thinking something different. Um, I think people go, people are getting arrested for this stuff. They're getting censored, silenced. Have you had any, uh, well, continue your story. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh no, not at all. Um, yeah, so I, I, I researched and, um, my religious beliefs, uh, I, I prayed on it and reflected on it a lot. And I just, when push came to shove, I, I just couldn't do it. And, you know, I, I didn't know whether the company would actually go through with their threat, but in the end they kind of, they wound up giving me an ultimatum and next thing I knew I was, I was on the outside of a 20 some year career <laughs> and, wow. and, um, within, I don't know, a matter of a couple weeks, anybody that I tried to reach out to, whether it was former colleagues or recruiters or whatever, nobody kind of wanted anything to do with me because it was one of these things like, Oh, well, you should know better. You're a scientist. You should have just taken the thing. And I said, and I remember saying to one recruiter, well, I do know better. And that's why I didn't take it. <laughs> and the guy kind of right. <laughs> was like, huh? Oh, okay. <laughs> Isn't it weird how science now, and I mean, it's been a problem in many fields of science from, from the guests I've had on different backgrounds have been saying this, this problem has shown up a lot where, um, there's so many vested interests involved. A lot of scientists don't feel like real, the real spirit of science is being used anymore. That it's, there's corporate interests, there's government interests, there's pharma interests, and that is plaguing the scientific world when it comes to the medical journals, when it comes to these new drugs and vaccines, which there's like, you know, how many in the pipeline they want to put into people. Um, and, and then any scientist that used to think, well, science is the process of investigation, take hypothesis, weigh the evidence against it, try to find the truth, look for flaws, that that process is gone, that it's all pretty much scripted these days. You've worked in this, in these industries. Is that an accurate characterization? Is that kind of how you're feeling? Or was it the pandemic that this whole thing, was that what really brought it out for you? Or were there other signs along your, in your career? Oh, it's absolutely, you know, I'm sure a lot of people kind of came into it somewhat, somewhat of an understanding of science and 
um, what what may or may not be going on in, in industry and stuff just in the last couple of years, but by no means was is the extent of all that's gone wrong with science just the last couple of years. I mean, this this was a long accumulation of a lot of bad science. I mean, I think it's the system itself was kind of designed with the intention of producing the kinds of scientists and the science that we have today, which is anything but real true science. Um, you know, obviously you, you're well aware of kind of who's at the top of the, this, this system, this cabal. And, um, it, it, you know, at the ground level as a scientist, you don't, it, it doesn't seem like there's much going on, but as you start to climb up further and you, and you engage with senior leadership and higher level people, I mean, you can you can see how things are being steered and how the money really drives what's going on in science, especially in industry. Um, and it's it's really blew me away at how much or I guess I should say how little um, true exploration really goes on because so much of it is guided by money. I mean, especially if you're in industry, it's what do you need to do to increase the value of your drug? and and also be able to differentiate your differentiate yourselves and com and um, try to one up your competitors, so to speak. Right. So it it you spend all your time on that kind of stuff and and polishing your image with respect to the data that you have, as opposed to actually sharing real knowledge, which is what science is. Um, you know, the word science itself was derived from the Latin scientia knowledge. I mean. But is that what we have now? No, we have money driving research. I mean, I've literally worked with people that say, well, I just look at what the people with the money want and I just do that. It's like, well, that's not science. That's ridiculous. It's funny you bring that up, actually, because um, some of our health ministers, quote unquote, in Canada were actually caught on a live mic before the broadcast was starting saying Oh, I just read whatever they tell me. Oh yeah, me too. I just read. And these are supposed to be the top doctors in Canada telling us the prescription for life and how we should be dealing with all these threats and stuff. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. They're actually saying it, you know, right before going on live to say, trust the science, everybody, we know what's going on. And yet, you know, as you're saying, and so many others, I mean, Mike, first of all, I want to say thank you for having the courage to come out and, and tell the story and, and come from the inside. This is what I love to do on this show is not just rant and rave with my crazy theories all the time, but to bring people from the inside who have the experience to see if anything that I've been covering is, is, you know, worthy of consideration. And I think what we've seen is the explosion of this knowledge of what you're illustrating go viral. I mean, that's why we had these protests in Canada and around the world as people, it wasn't just made up of average folks like me. It was made up of healthcare professionals, politicians, mm -hmm. lawyers, police officers, pilots, uh, people that came from all these different fields who realized something's wrong with this. This isn't the, this isn't science. This isn't medicine. This isn't about health. This is about something else. Um, and I'm sure, you know, uh, at least some of the stuff that I've covered, but mm -hmm. where do you see things now, especially that we're rolling in? So it's as if we had Maybe just give me your how you felt the whole pandemic rolled out. Like, what was it? Where were the signs for you that this wasn't maybe what they were saying, or there was something wrong with the messaging? 
being from the inside because we've gone from, you know, the OG COVID back in the day, went around the world. We got the footage from China and then it went around and then oh, now it's wave after wave. We got all the waves and then it was the, the variants, which are all named after, you know, some interesting <laughs> places in the, in the mm -hmm. sky, Draco constellations, et cetera, ancient Greek terms, whatever people want to think about that. And now we're in a phase where they're kind of, I feel like the narrative is really starting to come down all over the world with this one, because people are realizing that the policies they've been in, enacting are violating our human rights, the Nuremberg code, the charters, the constitutions, but now they're switching gears to other things. You know, we had Ukraine, we had, you know, um, you know, so many other things. And now it's monkeypox. Monkeypox is all over the place. And, um, you know, so maybe start from the beginning with, with your journey with COVID that led you to realize, I don't think I'm going to take the solution that they're selling me with these shots. Yeah. So I guess for me, you know, having spent time researching viruses and, and other things throughout my career, you kind of have a, perception of what are these things how does the kind of mainstream think that this stuff should should work you know what is can what is supposed to happen when you have a quote-unquote pandemic and who is supposed to be quarantined and how what are the mitigation strategies supposed to be like and as this thing unrolled and you started seeing all of these things pile up that went in complete contrast to thing the way things went in the in in historically or the way you you know I was taught certain things as a scientist in terms of well, we're just going to lock everybody down or we're just going to make everybody wear masks or we're going to make you know and I mean the masks was a huge kind of red flag to me because I knew right away and in fact a, a doctor that I had worked for doing HIV research, um, you know, he was pretty outspoken that the masks did nothing. And so when I saw that being pushed so much, I was like, how did this, there has to be something else going on here because I know that these things don't work. I mean, it's like trying to, you know, um, keep mosquitoes out of your yard with a chain link fence. I mean, it, it, you know, assuming viruses even are what what we're told they are. Um, and, and so, I mean, that, that was a huge red flag for me. And then it just the quarantining, like you're going to quarantine people that are asymptomatic or you're going to lock people down when they're, you know, people that don't even have any kind of symptoms, any sign of being sick. And then what, you know, what we're doing to kids who are at extremely low risk. I mean, all these things just started, just kept piling up. And then you're, then next thing you know, you're mandating experiments and it's like th this is not number one it, it has no scientific basis because you're you're so far off track of where what you know you kind of conventionally would have done in this situation at least historically you're kind of real-time changing definitions of things like vaccine um, and, and other things and, and then, even pandemic, I mean, they changed what the I definition mean, of an actual pandemic was. Right. And then when the pandemic happens, now they're like, oh, well, we're going to change the definition of what a vaccine does. Mm -hmm. There used to be like, what, like four criteria that a vaccine would have to meet in order to be actually called a vaccine. 
and this didn't meet any of them. So they just changed the definition like that kind of stuff. I'm an I don't I'm not a scientist, but I just go, that smells a little funny to me. Right. Well, they changed the these new vac these new vaccines, quote unquote, these mRNA things. I mean, up until before 2020 or 2021, like that would that was considered gene therapy. It wasn't it's not a vaccine. They had to change it to say, oh, well, it can be this other thing that can also be injected and da, 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 and then that can be a vaccine too. And it's like, what? But that saves a company that has invest has raised tremendous amounts of money but not delivered on their potential. And so they just can flip a switch and all of a sudden their product goes from being a gene therapy to a vaccine where there's no uh you're totally protected against any any issues and so voila. <laughs> well, isn't and isn't the um, the emergency use authorization that they got that's that plays into it, right? Was that if it? Well, I think what that was, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what what I read was that they needed the emergency use authorization because this was experimental, and they had to they could only get that approval if no other treatments were available. Right. Mm -hmm. So they had to pigeonhole the entire discussion and all the coverage on it into being this vaccine, this particular vaccine that isn't a vaccine, but we're going to call it one and rush it through with an EUA is the only way out of the pandemic. That's what the media was saying. That's what all the health officials and the politicians were saying. And I think that to me has to do with the fact that they're trying to get their product to the front of the line and use government power to enforce it. What do you think about that process? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's kind of the, the the textbook understanding of the the emergency use authorization. I mean, they did the same thing basically with remdesivir, and they had to kind of anything else that could have been a potential treatment had to be kind of pushed under the rug because then then remdesivir would lose its EUA too. I mean, anything. Anything else that could potentially be demonstrated to be safe and effective as a, as a treatment could have been a threat to those to these EUAs. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was pretty amazing to see how other treatments were. Sh I mean, shot down to a level of your your threatening doctors for trying to treat patients with certain other things, and I mean, it it's just stuff that has never happened before and should never happen. I mean, you're going to say that you can't treat a patient with a certain drug because, you know, for what reason other than, well, it's a threat to this other drug you're trying to, you're trying to uh, push out. And of course right. we know remdesivir is absolutely, I mean, it's deadly. It's, it's terrible. Um, the vaccines are creating mass destruction and um, you're not, you're bare, you know, it's so hard to find real information about what's actually effective in, in helping people because they've done such a job of silencing anything that goes against these tr drugs and treatments that they're, that they're trying to push out with the EUAs. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's what I've, a lot of people that I've spoken to, you know, they, they notice that same thing. Everybody's kind of got their spin on what it's, what it all is, but I think we can all agree 
there's, they're not just making mistakes in managing this. I think that's like, if we're talking to sort of the mainstream public who maybe they'll come to understand this or listen to a show like this because they saw some contradictions that didn't make sense or whatever, but they're just coming in and they're thinking, well, it's just mismanagement. We can just chalk it all up to incompetence. I mean, that's the easiest thing to do, but I take it further and I chalk it up to criminal activity and the fact that um, there is no innocent explanation anymore once you take all these factors into play that they're lying. They're actually flat out lying and they're at a point of covering up mass death, casualty, the destruction to our entire society and civilization, economically, everything, uh, as a result, not of the virus they like to blame it all on, but as a result directly of their policies around this so-called virus, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's incredible um, how it's how it's all rolled out. I mean, just looking at the FDA. I mean, you look at who who's funding it, how what the FDA really does. I mean, everyone wants to believe that the FDA gives their blessing on something; it means it's safe, but it's really about commercialization, right? These companies are trying to make a profit. They're not. They're not really trying to make you healthy. <laughs> that would be not in their best interest. In fact, right. <laughs> dry up their market. So that's the last thing they're trying to do. And the FDA is certainly not going to provide something that's going to enable, you know, real health. Um, well, and a good example of that. I had this debate with somebody a while back when the whole thing about. The FDA approved this community, whatever it is called, mm -hmm. vaccine, which I still don't think they're using that one. But um, they were like, well, see, the FDA approved it. I'm like, hey, the FDA approved Bextra. The FDA approved right. all the Bye. drugs that, yeah, like how many <laughs> drugs they got pulled in front of federal court and charged with millions and billions of dollars of fines for other drugs that have been FDA approved. Uh, I don't think the FDA is the final say is say uh, the final thing in any discussion about this because they're another agency that has to be investigated. In fact, mm -hmm. now when we zoom out and really see all the pieces of this, and feel free to comment on any of that, um, we can see that all we have to investigate our entire government. We have to investigate the you know the the corporate commercial interest, the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, people have been writing books about that for decades. I've got piles of them. Um, about the problems, the conflict of interest, the body counts, the drug, the whole thing. Um, and, and then our regulatory agencies, which are supposed to be there to protect us from that kind of stuff. You find out, what is it like the NIH and the FDA and the CDC, they have their own patents on different drugs and vaccines, which mm -hmm. means why would you have a patent? You're the government. You're just supposed to regulate stuff. What are you, you're in the business now. And you see this open door policy between the private pharma world and the government policymaking world. I mean, mm -hmm. whew, there's plenty of conspiracy to go around. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah. There's, there's so many um, connections of people going back and forth into in these different realms and the, the connections. I mean, it's, it's impossible to not see what, what's going on and how all these people are connected. And I mean, the FDA, so, I guess people should understand that how easy it is to to um, to design a clinical trial and not necessarily. I mean, I, I guess you could, in theory, rig it, but I mean, you don't even have to rig it because if you design it well and you 
include the proper metrics and things, you can just select whatever you want. That's essentially what they do is select whatever you want to tell the story you want. And you're just cherry picking out data. If you put, if you build in enough and you, I mean, and you kind of do have to design the trial in a, in, in a certain way, but um, I mean, you want to believe that, oh, well, they did a, you know, uh, randomized, you know, controlled trial. And so therefore it's got to be, the drug has got to be safe and effective, right? Right. But right. That, that's that's anything but. I mean, if you actually look at these trials, it it becomes pretty clear that it's it's pretty easy to mislead, and I would argue intentionally so, people about the the effects of a drug, the uh, whether a drug is safe or not. I mean, um, and it's it's you know, you have to go through a whole process just to get into clinical trials. And there's a lot of drugs that don't make it because of toxicity issues and stuff like that, yet they're getting into the trials and getting into patients that are incredibly sick. Um, I mean, I've seen situations where, you know, drugs, because they're incredibly toxic or flat out negligence has led to really horrible outcomes in trials um and you know people just the industry the companies just shrug it off and keep on moving on into the next thing and and they'll still put they'll still promote them they'll still push them through and get them approved Mm -hmm. right well if they can i mean they try to or or um you know you'll have a drug that you know maybe kills a patient or something but and you'll just move down the line to the next generation drug or the next thing in your pipeline and throw that into a trial and try to, you know, and just keep on moving. Like it's like, it's nothing. Um, I've seen stuff like that. They, wow. You know, they don't, they don't really care. I mean, really, as you were saying with the drugs that have been approved and there are public resources where you can go look up all the drugs that were approved and then later um, repealed or whatever they call it, you know, and they're, they're, there's a whole bunch of drugs that had gotten approval and years that da- years down the road were removed or got, or lost that. They get pulled. Yeah. They get pulled. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, anybody can look it up. It's, it's astounding, but you assume that just because something got approved that, you know, it's, it's been blessed by the FDA and it's safe and effective. Right. But not even close. I mean, they keep studying. What you don't realize is they keep studying these things, even these vaccines. There's trials that are that have endpoints for these vaccines going out to 2024, 2025, where they're doing follow-up safety stuff and di- looking at different parameters that, that, that don't read out for another three, four years. I mean, so we're the, we're the test subject. We're the trial. Right, exactly. Well, they got rid of the control groups and all of them. So. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> so now they're just doing the tests, and they're and I think I, what I've been looking at. So I've been working, Mike. I don't know if you if you're aware, but I've been working on a series, documentary series called "Cult of the Medics," mm-hmm. and I'm bringing another flavor, and I'm bringing all this sort of topical stuff, but I'm also going into the ancient world of cults and secret societies and all that stuff, and just bringing it on the table for people to consider. You know. We're studying human history. We're studying the nature of corruption, criminality, evil, tyranny, 
Um, but using the medical system as a good, you know, starting point, because I just think they're probably the biggest mafia in the world. I mean, mm-hmm. if you read um, Peter Stokes book on uh, pharmaceutical, he, he used to be a pharmaceutical drug salesman all over Europe, and he did it for many years. And he wrote a book basically comparing the pharmaceutical industry to organized crime. He said, if I took side by side examples of what the mob does and how it operates, like just its basic operating system, and we put that next to the operating system of these pharmaceutical companies, you know, there's many, many correlations that are there. So uh, it is no uh, far stretch for us to be calling this a criminal operation or a a criminal cabal, Um, whether everybody's, I don't think everybody's in on it. I think it's compartmentalized. I mean, you yourself were a scientific researcher working within the field and then of your own conscience, you said, Hey, this I'm not, that's a bridge too far, you know, and I'm seeing the destruction of science. So I think that um, in a way, Western medicine, if we'll call it that, has actually been hijacked from a pathway that would have been positive and would have been something that would have been the pinnacle of real science and would have integrated all the, the elements of how to achieve health for a society and for a person. But it got hijacked. And, and now it is a drug industry. It's a massive drug empire. I call them the real drug lords, you know. Uh, what do you think about that big picture of things? Yeah, I think I think it rings very true from everything I've seen um, working in the industry. Um, it it really is all about the drugs, and it's amazing when you think about it. You if you don't if you can get yourself to not just look at it as if they're they're and get kind of get past the idea that they're trying to help people and just look at what they're actually doing. It, it's pretty obvious. And if you've ever engaged with, you know, as you were saying, this guy, uh, uh, the pharmaceutical reps, I mean, the way that they interact with and push things onto the doctors to basically make them into effectively the, the dealers. Um, it, it's astounding the tactics that are, that are used and the way the the industry goes about um, manipulating things. And I mean, doctors nowadays, you know, obviously they're, they're literally been, it's like a drive-through drug pusher. I mean, you get about 15 minutes in the U S at least with, you get about 15 minutes with your doctor, which I don't see how they could know anything about you. And in that time, they're supposed to diagnose and then prescribe something. I mean, what else is that if not like <laughs> it's just an instrument of the pharmaceutical industry that's pushing drugs? I mean, and as a scientist who's studied and developed these things, they're not safe. They're not effective. They're not specific. There's no, you know, I, I mean, I, not only do I think the science is really bad, but I think it's horrible the way that they're portraying these drugs as being meaningful treatments to things when in many cases they're causing the problem. I mean, I'm sure you're aware of the, the fact that iatrogenic death is at least the third leading cause of death, if not the first, when you, when you start to really add things up. Um, and for people that don't know that term, you're talking about um, medical drug as a result of a medical drug, right? Or any medical, I mean, it's kind of like a, yeah, medical, it could be a, you know, doctor, hospital, 
you know, um, a bad surgery or they recommended right. like, or misdiagnosis. There's, I guess there's many different fields that could fall into that. So basically death by doctor, death by doctor, People, right. Go to the white coats. They're the yeah. priests of the, of the, of the <laughs> temple of, of health, apparently now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. new religion. And, uh, when you go there, a lot of people end up dying of things they didn't even go to see the doctor about because of secondhand um, negative results as, as doing to the treatments that they've been prescribed. Right. A lot of it is just the, the drugs themselves. Um, and even if you look at, and so there was, there's some studies a couple years back. I know even Johns Hopkins put out a study um, that was hit some of them the big media outlets and I couldn't believe it um, because it, it showed that the atrogenic death was like the third leading cause of death. But of course they excluded and still put up the two big ones being cancer and heart disease atop that. But then if, but if you dig into those two, you realize most people there are dying from the treatments and things as well. So mm. I, I think you could make a fair argument that the atrogenic, this death by doctor really is the leading cause of death probably in the U S and around the world. And especially the last two years with COVID. Oh uh, yeah. That's certainly not. Have you seen the numbers? Like where are you at with the numbers? I get people telling me different things. There's, I mean, people usually go to when it comes to deaths as a result of the vaccine. Okay. Which the media will not admit, you know, maybe a little bit here and there, but you know, you've got VARES, you've got, I've heard 11 different reporting systems within the U S um, I've heard, and then you got, what is it, Eurovigilance in Europe, in Canada, we just recently started some kind of reporting system, but it's total crap. Um, but anyways, there's all these reporting systems coming out, and we've seen doctor after doctor, medical researcher after medical researcher coming out um, to tell people that there is a massive amount of deaths and, and injury as a result of these vaccines. Yet the media will just say, oh, maybe it was a couple thousand. Oh, it was, you know, you want to make an omelet. You got to break some eggs. We got to do something. Although it's the only way out of the pandemic, you know? And it's like, but where are you at with, uh, what would you say are the numbers? What do you think the real numbers are? I know it's hard for us to see, but just people that I know that I'm talking to, they're telling me it's reaching people that were skeptical of my position of questioning this that are now flipped over and they're now tuning in because they're like, I experienced blood clots. My wife had a heart attack. My father-in-law, my, you know, and we're seeing it everywhere. Pilots have been telling me, you'd be shocked how many pilots are flying right now with myocarditis. Wow. That's, you know, so where do you think about this? Oh yeah. I, I think it's, I mean, I, I think there's, massive numbers and i think it's being largely covered up because of course the whole system many of these reporting things are entirely dependent on a doctor or a caregiver actually going through and documenting the, mm. the the case whatever it is whether it's a death or an you know an adverse effect and so then that goes back to our you know you hear stories about some places where they're not allowing people to document things or forcing them to try to, to cover things up. So it's hard to gauge what would, what the real number would be. But even if you just look at what's being reported, it's astounding, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's mind blowing. It's so far off what, what was before. I mean, if you combine everything, all vaccines prior, add them up, this blows it away. Um, and that's incredible. And that's incredible that, like, what was it? The swine flu vaccine they pulled after 50 deaths right. or something. Yeah. 
And then, um, and yet we're sitting here in Canada, Mike, to this day, in this moment, I am not permitted to fly even within my own country. I can't take a bus, can't take a train, can't take a plane within my own country. I mean, Ukrainian refugees are allowed to come in. They don't care about their vaccine status. But my own, our own people in Canada, we can't leave and come back. We can't fly within because of the mandate of these shots. So think about that. And this isn't, I mean, I know Canada's in a bad spot, but it's been like this for a while where all these countries are all in coordination saying, you must take this jab or else. And that is an immediate breach of all of everything we used to understand when it comes to medical freedom, bodily autonomy, um, and, and all of that, it's all being violated. And yet, even with what you're saying, if we just take the conservative numbers of what they're saying with this shot, there's zero justification for a mandate of something that is causing this much harm and has what admitted in the Pfizer documents, uh, aside from the six, 9,000 side effects they said were going to happen. Uh, it was the, it was like 12% efficacy. 12%. So for 12% efficacy and a boatload of side effects that are killing and maiming people, the governments are moving to mandate this. How can somebody like me not think that there's a gigantic conspiracy to reduce the population or something? It's like, how can we, it's, it's, I can't even get my mind around it. Yeah. You'd almost have to be like not paying attention to not see the obvious fact that these are not effective in any way and they're harming a tremendous amount of people i mean i i think the real numbers have got to be what do they say the vares is somewhere between 10 and 100 fold off or something like that there was that yeah, harvard, harvard study, study. Yeah. and i think then i saw somebody did a great job trying to calculate a more accurate i forget what the what the number was um but to try to I think it was between three and 500,000 in America yeah. alone, just in America. Yeah. That was yeah. like their, their estimate. Right. It's, it's incredible. I mean, and, and that's to not even factoring in long-term, like what could happen right. long-term. Do you We're have, here. I was going to ask you, you've researched this. What's, what can these types of, what, first of all, what's this MRNA technology? I mean, you were looking at it. Um, it was looked at as a gene therapy. What can you tell us about this technology that might have some dire implications down the road in the long-term effects of this stuff? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, the whole the whole idea is to try to express this spike protein in in your cells, and then the assumption is that your body will mount some kind of a response against that and you'll produce antibodies or maybe a cellular immune response or something that, that would protect you against the virus. But so this kind of idea of introducing, even in this kind of same manner with a lipid nanoparticle, a nucleic acid to try to endogenously or not to try to recombinantly express a protein in a cell has been used in labs for years to study different proteins, to study the effect of drugs on certain targets. I've generated, I've made a lot of cell lines and used cell lines made like this to study different things where you're taking DNA, sometimes RNA, and, and you're putting it into the cell and <clears throat> you use a process that's called transfection. And one of the ways you do that actually uses a lipid, I mean, the best way to describe it would be it basically forms a lipid nanoparticle 
around the, the nucleic acid and helps it get into the cell. And so when I saw this with the mRNA jabs, I was like, this is essentially what you're doing when you're trying to generate a, a, a cell line to study something. We we're trying to overexpress it. And I was like, why would you want to do that in a human being? Because you're basically making a GMO human. I mean, you're, you're, you're expressing something that's not normally there and hoping that not only is that not going to be problematic or, or toxic, but then you're saying that any response to it is going to be manageable and it's going to just do something that's going to solely prevent the person from um, this being, you know, uh, if they're exposed to the so-called virus and I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's the whole technology. So you kind of have to go back and look at gene therapy. They used to use these, um, viral vectors to introduce and express protein. So if you had a, a genetic disease where you had a defective or you were deficient in a certain protein, the whole idea was, well, we'll just, make the body, tell the body to make a new normal protein. Um, and they use these, these different kinds of viral vectors to do that, but they were wildly unsuccessful, incredibly toxic. They caused all sorts of cancers. And so it, they, the, there's always been this kind of quest for the next generation. How do we do this better? What's, what's a different way of going about this? And I think that was what really led to the hype around mRNA therapeutics, especially with Moderna. And um, <clears throat> so there was a lot of hype and obviously they raised a ton of money, but it, it just didn't work out. You know, whenever these things have been tried to, to be used, if you dosed them at a level where you thought they were going to be successful, it was wildly toxic. If you went down to a level where you mitigated the toxicity, you didn't have the desired effect. And that should have just blown, the, I mean, that should have said, okay, there's no proof of concept and it's too, it's too, uh, too harmful. It's too dangerous. You Let's can't, just the, end this there. But then they yeah, said, oh, well, we can like, make it a vaccine. <laughs> right. And isn't that what they're trying to do is say, well, all we got to do is put this, even though we've never done this on mass before. And what's the argument that people tell me with this when I say they've never used this tech? They go, oh, well, mRNA tech has been around for a long time. It's like, okay, well, it's been around for a long time, but they haven't injected 7 billion people with it multiple times mm -hmm. under, in under a year. Uh, you know, like there's no long-term safety. And the reason is, is as you're saying, they're trying to hit a very small target of having it produce this particular spike protein only one time just to get mm -hmm. the immune response so that you don't get the actual thing. But what we're seeing, if you listen to people like Luc Montagnier and, um, uh, you know, even Peter McCullough and Brian, uh, Robert Malone, all these guys coming out now, is they're saying, and oh, um, uh, I'm trying to remember his name. There's been some great guys that have come out, a very expert in this field, who've said, no, 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 what's happening is your body will continuously mm -hmm. keep producing a synthetic thing that they, you've just reprogrammed the, the body to do. And it's also doing that in a way that is bypassing your natural immune system, which means your immune system is basically being turned off in exchange for a 
basically an artificially created immune system. And they expect us to believe that what they've injected into, they can control whether or not that's going to fluctuate with all these other diseases. But we know they knew that it wouldn't be that because Pfizer's documents alone have come mm. out and said in their own trials, they discovered these thousands of different possible reactions that could happen. So they knew that this wouldn't be what they were advertising, but they all still advertised it as such. Mm -hmm. That's a crime against humanity, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. It's insane to believe that you could control this, that you can in inject this stuff into someone and you're, it's going to just work and make the thing for a limited amount of time. And then, and then that's it. I mean, right. the whole thing hinges on they're modifying these RNAs to get them to persist longer to, to, to make higher levels of these, of these proteins. I mean, normally our mRNA is very short lived. And so when you're extending that, you're, you're, you're asking for problems and it's, you're increasing the chance that it's going to occur in an uncontrolled manner and might get integrated into the cell, you know, the genomic DNA, and then you keep making it, you certainly can't control where it's going. I mean, there's nothing that's specific about where, what tissue or, or cell types that these things are going into. So if you had any thought that, well, it's just going to make the spike protein in this part of the body or the, this tissue or these cells, I mean, there, there's, there's no reason to believe that. So I, I don't know. I mean, the whole thing is just wild because like you said yeah it's been studied for a while the whole idea of well, gene therapies mrna as a therapeutic but never put into humans to this extent mm. and to have no idea what would happen and just push it on and threaten people with their livelihoods is incredible it shows there's something else going on, in my opinion. Um, yeah. And now that they're switching the narrative already, as this is coming out, I mean, there's, we had uh, Senator Ron Johnson have the hearing with all the doctors. He's, he's out there now. We've got, um, you know, uh, what's his name? The lawyer from Reiner Fulmich from Germany, who is doing this sort of international grand jury, bringing in expert witnesses, testimony, et cetera. You've got court cases lined up around the block just in my own province of British Columbia, Canada. There's actually our, um, our, what do you call her? Bonnie Henry. She's like, she runs British Columbia, right? She's the premier. She's mm -hmm. under, she's actually in court right now with one case that finally got into a court where people are suing her for the policies that she enacted that lot people lost their jobs, et cetera. Um, and there's many, many, many more to come just in Canada, let alone around the world, which means there is a major reaction. We're not just some small fringe minority with unacceptable views like Trudeau likes to pretend. <laughs> this is a massive movement of experts, highly regarded experts and scientists and doctors and citizens from all over the world in every sector that are pushing back against this because all of us feel like something's wrong. We might not know all the details of how they pulled it all off and what's really going on, but we know something's wrong. Um, and now as all that's starting to get to the surface, monkeypox. I got a little <laughs> clip I wanted to show everybody just to sh give you a flavor of what your bought and paid for media is telling you to be afraid of next. Take a look.
Now what? Monkeypox. 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 View has symptoms associated with monkeypox. Clusters of the virus have been reported in Britain, Spain, and Portugal, with more cases popping up in the U.S., Australia, and across Europe. Tonight at Bellevue Hospital, doctors are treating a person who may have monkeypox. A city that is still dealing with COVID and its latest surge now comes a potentially new virus to New York City. This one is called monkeypox. What this is causing is pandemonium in the city because hearing the word monkeypox after dealing with COVID, well, experts say this new virus could be spreading fast. Scientists at Winnipeg's National Microbiology Lab have been tasked with testing monkeypox samples taken from Quebec patients. I would say generally that the entire population uh, is, is susceptible to this uh, to, to monkeypox. For those seeking personal protective options, you might feel a sense of deja vu. Experts recommend masking, hand washing and physical distancing when needed. Mitigation measures with which we've become all too familiar. It requires very close personal contact. What is monkeypox? This is what we call a zoonotic infection where it can jump from non-human animals into humans. Public health officials are considering a ring strategy that would include using a smallpox vaccine for close contacts of those infected. The number of confirmed or suspected cases of monkeypox worldwide is now 106. Doctors in at least eight countries, including the U.S., are now treating patients potentially infected with the rare illness. The mysterious spread of monkeypox is concerning for doctors. Now at least 80 cases in 11 countries and 50 more possible cases. The spread of the rare disease, which causes rashes and lesions, has prompted the CDC to issue an alert. Doctors are hopeful they can quickly learn why cases are spreading around the globe. The CDC is investigating a confirmed case of a rare and sometimes deadly disease called monkeypox. 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 <laughs> 108 suspected cases around the world, Mike. The world's the sky's falling. Oh my gosh. Monkeypox. Monkeypox. <laughs> I mean, you almost can't make this stuff up, but apparently it is. Well, there is something going on. I don't know what it is. I, if I, if, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't listen to what the media is saying because they're not telling you the truth. Um, you know, in, in light of what we're just talking about with all of the people that have been pushed to take this experimental treatment, you know, wouldn't you imagine there'd be some new, possibly crazy side effects and ways in which the body is trying to detox from that? And, you know, mm. could 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 this just be um, some way to... to cover up something that's going on with the with the vaccine but even if you want to look at what what in the heck is monkeypox i mean i was i was looking at this actually just today kind of well where how was this thing discovered and what's the history around this and so it was discovered in 1958 in a in a some lab monkeys in in a lab in denmark um and it was initially thought to have been something that was basically pretty restricted to monkeys and certain other animals and um, could spread to humans, but you know, you know, you had to have very close contact with, with monkeys. Um, and there was actually a, an article that I was reading from, I think it was 1978. 
and it said that monkeypox, based on what was known, that um, human-to-human transmission was so rare that it was not a public health issue, you know, that you shouldn't worry about it because it was so rare. And yet here we are, and they're trying to scare the heck out of everybody with this. And, and masks work again, right? You see that? Right. Oh, we've become all too familiar with the thing that will solve the problem. Just mask, social distancing, shut down your business, hand over the keys to the kingdom to Klaus Schwab, and we'll take care of everything. Sure. Yeah. Just go back, you know, and we'll, they've already got some new vaccine that they've, you oh, know, yeah. funded up and they want to go, I mean, in the, 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 use the smallpox vaccines. Yeah. That's a good idea because they were so effective. <laughs> yeah. Do you th- well, and you brought up some points that made me think, um, somebody sent me a good graph about how this could literally just be shingles, uh, that is the side effect of the jab, right? As you said, the body goes to the process of trying to get out this unnatural, whatever the hell they just injected everybody with. And that produces these different effects in these cases. And then they look at it and they go, like, how do they even decide it is monkeypox versus it is smallpox versus it is shingles? How do they even know already what the hell this is? And then they're like, we've got 106 cases all over the world. This is how they started COVID. We got these cases here and there, and then it just blew up. People are wondering, are they going to go all in with this? Or is this just another distraction or whatever? I don't know. Yeah. You know how they test for it? <laughs> it's another PCR assay. <laughs> no way. So they oh, just PCR yeah. it. Oh yeah. Okay, tell us about your thoughts of that test, because that's 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 to me is a linchpin of the entire sham. Oh, absolutely. And and I've I have uh, at different times I've developed all of these different kinds of whether it's PCR or the antibody things or all the you know. Um, but the PCR is extremely sensitive to where it can pretty much detect just about anything and anything. I mean, if you cycle it enough, it, it can become very nonspecific. So if you're going up to, say, greater than 30 cycles, I mean, how could you possibly know what what you're detecting? Because it's you're getting into an area where anything that is non-specific specifically being amplified is going to be detectable. Um, so basically any, any, any part of any previous cold or flu you might've had could pop up any kind of like, cause you're amplifying it so many times. This is what mm-hmm. my understanding of it is. I, I started off with hearing from Kerry Mullis, who was the inventor of the, of the thing. And then there was uh, what's his name from Germany, I think who was the guy Dresden or something. Um, he, he, he basically said, yeah, he, he redid it or something for COVID or he made it work better for he is, he's claiming that. And then they use that standard. But then I found out that in Canada early on, they were cycling this at over 40 to 45 cycles. And mm-hmm. our, it was Patty Zhu, I think her name, like, I forget all the names, one of the Ontario ministers who came out and publicly said it and was like, yeah, they're, you know, when you cycle too many, you know, you can get false positives. And then a friend of mine just went in to get tested for something completely different. And I started having a conversation with this doctor and the doctor was saying, oh yeah, like we don't really rely on the PCR because it can, it can, you know, amplify and just said the whole thing. And he's like, oh, well that the whole pandemic was based on that. And then the guy just like 
that was a bridge too far and he just kind of went back to normal. It, it's, it's like one of those things that it's like doctors know this, they'll even say it. But then when you go, but that's the foundation of how they made all the cases and scared everybody with the pandemic, isn't there a problem? And then that's when people check out, you know? Yeah. What, once you kind of realize that, then you could kind of see how it's basically a pandemic on a dial a pandemic. Cause you just dial it up or down based on, you know, how you set your cutoffs and thresholds and stuff. And you can all of a sudden cases go up or you could, you want to turn the cases down. You just, <laughs> and voila, the there you go. I mean, it's, I don't know. It, it's, it's amazing because even if, so the, the guy in Germany that, that, developed one of the first COVID PCR assays, he actually admitted that he pulled the sequence from some data bank, I think from, from somewhere in China. And so he developed the assay from just from some sequence in a data bank he, that where there hadn't even been a virus that isolated, that correlated. So there was nothing even to compare to. He mm. just pulled the sequence, designed some primers, and then bam, assay. And I mean, without any kind of gold standard, anything to compare it to, I mean, and the sequences are a disaster themselves because it's all kind of assembled in a computer program. And the way that they do it is just kind of, is that's kind of another whole mind boggling thing um, with genomics, all this stuff, because it's this way that, you know, it's the wave of the future. It's using technology and science and, Therefore, we can just simply tell that somebody has a virus by pulling out some piece of sequence of nucleic acid. We don't have to actually show that there's an actual virus in there. Even if you have a PCR assay, that doesn't tell you anything about, I mean, let's assume you were infected with a virus, but I mean, you're just detecting a tiny piece of nucleic acid. That doesn't tell you anything about what what's actually going on is the is this virus doing anything you know you could have fragments of something in there that happened years ago and it you know and it could pick it up and you wouldn't know the difference right I and mean, it wouldn't actually show if it's actively like maybe when i had pneumonia when i was a kid you know right. something got I, who knows right they're picking up something we don't know if it's active this is why you had this ridiculous nonsense with the asymptomatic spread that <laughs> It's the, it's the first pandemic in history where you're walking around feeling normal and you're treated as if you ha are, have leprosy. Um, and that is just, that's what, that's the argument to me that they needed to put out there in order to get the conditions of the pandemic set, in order to get the lockdowns, the mass forcing of universal masking, universal vaccines, one size fits all. To me, that really was based on that PCR test the asymptomatic thing and a, a bunch of other flaws. Um, and then when, now that they got this monkeypox thing rolling around and they're telling you, Oh, we just got to do the exact same thing. They're probably going to start telling people, you know what? If you just go get all your COVID jabs, what are they at? Four, five, eight. Yeah. Go, go, go get up there with all your COVID jabs. It'll protect you against the monkeypox. Like I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> Mike, if they tell me that tomorrow. Yeah, that, next thing you know, the monkeypox has a some kind of spike thing or something, and there's a, you know, they, they're related or whatever. I don't know, whatever they're going to come up with, and so go get this, and then, and then we'll give you a little smallpox vaccine on the side just in case. And then... Well, we we're we're short on time, and I want to hit two other points with you, Mike. Um, one is we're talking about all this stuff. 
there is the age old debate between terrain theory and germ theory. Okay. Um, mm. I've heard out, I mean, I'm no expert. Okay. I've just had my own life experience. I've heard out both sides. I think I, there's so much more I have to learn. Um, but I guess when I think of it, I'm more, my approach to health is purely terrain. Like it's purely based on, cause I come from an athletic background, martial arts, and we used, you know, worked in the supplements and all that. And I look at it as if you treat your body like a garden and you give it the right amount of nutrients and water and sunlight, you know, metaphorically, uh, your body will perform incredibly. Whereas if you load your body up with toxins, um, and I think there's even a consciousness connection there, you can get into the whole biology of belief element or epigenetics, maybe, I don't know. But uh, I think there's a lot more to what creates a state of illness in somebody than just, oh, someone sneezed on you. Um, however, I also hear some of the arguments from people from germ theory camp, which I don't like their entire foundation of them being like, well, the whole body is just perfectly sterile and anything coming in, we has to be just nuked. And even if yeah, like that, that's ridiculous. But I still think that going to the point of saying viruses don't exist or contagion of any kind doesn't happen or dismissing even the level of technology and sophistication in the bioweapons world, which I've done a lot of research on and interview people about, um, I just feel like there's extremes everywhere. Um, so I guess I'm kind of seeing it as a bit of both leaning more towards terrain. What's your theory? You've worked in the mainstream world. You've worked with these things. What do you think about that whole argument? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm still learning a lot, a lot myself. I mean, and I, and I try to keep a, a very open mind while also kind of looking at what I've learned from my time actually in the trenches and I mean, just from what I know about modern medicine and drugs and things like that, it's hard for me to believe that, you know, anybody's deficient in these toxic drugs that these companies are pushing and that that's truly the answer when we're being bombarded with so much crap, whether it's uh, in the stuff we're eating or what we're being exposed to on the TV or, any, you know, everywhere and anywhere these days. Um, and I, I just think the more that I research, the more that I look back on what I did, I, I really think that terrain is resonating a lot, a lot more. I don't like to just, I think it can be dangerous to just say, well, it's gotta be this one thing and not anything else. I mean, that's kind right. of, we got into this because everyone said, it's gotta be germ theory and we're going to eliminate everything else. I mean, I look at theories as less of a true false as more of a which one is stronger and which one is weaker because when you start eliminating everything or you make it into it uh a choice of between pick this or that you know it's kind of like the right left thing it's like it can become an illusion of choice when you really you know like if you can get pigeonholed into well these are just the two that that they want you to consider and then you don't look at anything else but i i agree with you i think there's a lot that resonates with how and what we we do to our our bodies, how we actually what we expose ourselves to, what we what we eat, what we how we live our lives, um, versus just that we're constantly being invaded by things. And you know, uh, I mean, a and couple the body of years can't ago, possibly respond to it. Like we we there's no right. way the human immune system 
could possibly fight this off because as we were told, Mike, there's no, this is a novel virus, this coronavirus, was a novel, n- new. Um, and so you can have all the ju- the uh, vegetable juice and the vitamin C and the ivermectin that you want or whatever it is, and it won't matter because it's new mm. and your body hasn't had time to decode it. That's why we got to vaccinate you to you know safely introduce you to the virus. And I'm sitting there going, look, I had whatever this thing was at the beginning of February 2020, and then I got it again, whatever. And it, both times it felt very foreign, and very unique. And then I got it again during the start of the trucker convoy in the winter. And it was about a week for each one. And I went through my normal way that I deal with any kind of onset of a cold flu, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I dealt with it no problem and I was fine. Um, and so there was something, but my body dealt with it. And now <laughs> it now remembers and I don't need to have mRNA spike proteins flying around in my body. Um, but, you know, they, they need that argument out there to keep the fear going because it's like any drug dealer. You need me, Mike. You need me to, to help give you the drug fix that's going to keep you, you know, where, give you whatever you want. So they want us to need them. They don't want us to know we could be growing medicine in our backyard that could make them entirely obsolete. We could be doing practices, um, you know, of, of taking care of our health and managing our sleep and managing our mind, our consciousness. The consciousness connection is huge. If we had that, um, we could fight off the vast majority of this stuff. And But they don't want that because that would obviously destroy their entire business model. But then on the other hand, you do have those people out there that are telling the public, Look, don't be afraid of any. There's nothing going around. It's, it's all an illusion. It's all a scientific uh, fraud. There's nothing at all to fear. Well, that's where I bring in um, even this thesis I've been exploring with Dr. Artis about poisoning being a factor or um, biological weapons or gain of functions or these kinds of things as you realize, okay, well, whether it whether they're putting in water, whether they're injecting it in people, whether it's a product that's been in, involved in everything we've been consuming for a long time, whether there's so many ways to look at it. I feel like we're all fighting in our camps here about what theory we like best. And yet I feel like every theory is going to teach us something and maybe we're all right and we're all wrong. And we're still trying to find out what the full truth is because I think this is bigger than we can even imagine. And if we open up the door on what could be going on with this, we could open up the whole history of what's really been going on under that curtain of this medical field and all of this type of research and what they've been really doing. And that is a big nut to swallow, but I just feel like maybe a little more nuance would be good, especially in our movement. Cause I think what happened uh, was that as everybody was trying to resist the fear porn coming from the media and the whole thing, they went and found refuge in different, you know, I theories, which is great. But then getting people to now see things from a different perspective, even from that, is is really hard. And so I try to do my best to put a balanced view out here. But how do you think, because what you're talking about is actually the real scientific method, not just throwing a whole thing out, um, not just staying in one camp, but looking at the whole thing and turning it around and entertaining it for a while and then entertain. This is the process of proper research, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, we have to be able to ask questions and everybody should be empowered to to ask questions, to look into this stuff and not just defer to uh, an expert. I mean, it 
you know, when you have all of this information coming out, it can be so easy to turn away from one person and say, oh, well, this sounds like a reasonable explanation and just to glom onto something else. And then you kind of close your mind to other things. We really, really need to just keep our minds open and, and just not really stop asking questions because in the world of science or really the, the world period, this existence uh, within and, and everything around us, I mean, there's so much that we can't know despite everybody in science, the, the quote unquote experts claiming that everything is settled science, everything is known. I mean, that, that's so, you know, I think most people can sense that there's just a lot that we, we don't know. So when anything new is presented, I mean, I just take the approach of let's look at the information. Let's, yeah. you know, not just jump to a conclusion. Can I go and dig into you know, the, the sources, the, whatever, the studies or whatever, and really try to understand what's, what's being theorized. What's, what, what is the thought process that's being put into this? And does it, does it make sense? I mean, there's a lot of bad false science out there. So you have to use a lot of discernment when you're going through this stuff. There's a lot of, um, issues with published science with peer review. I mean, you can't just pick up studies and, take them at face value um, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff out there. That's, I mean, there's people that drug companies will have uh, stuff that's with ghost writers where they'll just write, you know, random papers and things. I mean, you really have to be careful. It's going to be very easy just to, you have some idea and you go out and you just do searches and you pull things that kind of pop up that kind of support your, your idea, but if you don't really clearly vet what you're looking at, you can get into the weeds. So that's why I think it's really important to have an open mind and and closely examine stuff. But you know, definitely don't we we don't want to throw stuff out just because something sounds crazy or you know um, somebody's you know we need to examine everything and then kind of come to a decision. Does this does this does this stand up? Um, oh, that's and that's the approach, and that's why I, I love your work and I love that approach. This is what we need back again: is the real process of science, where um, it's not something that cancel out cancels out um, one view. It's we need to get to the truth. That's why I called the show Truth Warrior. I don't claim to have the truth. I'm just trying to be on the trail. I just want people to have critical thinking. Um, and I want to point out to people, you actually did an article with, I think it was Tom Cowan taking a critical look at the snake venom theory, which I think is valuable for people to look at. So they hear a different perspective. Some of the questions and challenges you guys had for that theory. Um, I've since sent that to Dr. Artis, by the way, he had some very interesting oh. comments to make. Um, but that's, I look at it all and I go, hey, we're studying a mystery here. If this was a crime that was planned. All right. If this really was planned, if this wasn't just some accident that got out of control and then they just, you know, if there's something deeper going on here, there could be components of that theory that like, for example, when I first started hearing it, it brought me to learn about companies like Gene and Tech, the Wellcome Trust, mm -hmm. um, the conotoxin research, the, the, the snake venom peptide research that they were doing, the, uh, the just sheer amount of this type of agent being used in biochemical warfare 
and then finding it's in it's in your pesticides being sprayed on all the crops. It's in um, it, it's part of the makeup. I had Dr. Mikevitz come on and, and maybe sharpen it up a little and, and say, no, you got to zoom out and look at it even bigger. This stuff's been in your food and your water and your air for a long time. And that could be why we're seeing it show up in people who knows what they're putting in these shots, who knows what they're putting in these drugs like remdesivir, um, whether it all pans out or not. I found it valuable because now I know so much more about that than I ever did before, <laughs> whether we go all the way or not. But that's what I like to do. Sometimes you have to, like, there's even books of people that I love and respect where I'll probably throw out, in my opinion, like 70, 80% of what they might say, but that 20% of something they brought up is so key and so important mm -hmm. that we can't just throw the whole thing out. And I think thinking in extremes is, um, is not healthy when we're trying to get to what real science is and what finding out what the real truth is, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and with, with respect to that, I mean, I, I, I pulled as many sources as I could with the respect to the snake venom stuff and try to really take a close look at things and give it a, a comprehensive um, an analysis and not just simply brush it off or, you know, um, gloss over it. Um, I really tried to pull as much of the information as I could, which is what I think people should do. I mean, you know, he really gave, he really listed out a lot of his sources. And so, it, you know, it was easy to go and, and pull things up and go through things. And, and then I, of course, I have my own experiences I've used. I think there's a lot of times where there can be perceptions about things because if, because again, we've mostly people have not really been focusing on a lot of this stuff what goes on in the pharmaceutical industry research. But to me, it was like, oh yeah, I mean, I've used toxins and venoms and things to, to as tools in the lab throughout my career. I mean, this was, I was like, oh yeah, of course. I mean, I can certainly see where, you know, you can do with, with anything, there can be a benefit or there can be an, you know, an, an evil intention I mean, I've seen this and weighed this out throughout my career with a lot of different things I've I've used and strategies. I mean, molecular biology, you know, uh, is is a good example of the way you can manipulate science in in an evil manner. Um, and I guess even with that, like you're saying, even with snake venom, there are properties of it that are actually uh, they can mitigate the bite of a snake because the snake mm -hmm. carries both the poison and the sort of uh, cure of it, right? So right. they can use it in, in different areas. The question is, is there any secret uh, operation that we're starting to just right. see hints of show up that would suggest that they're actually working on weaponizing some of this stuff? I mean, even the fact that you go back and you see the media itself was reporting two simultaneous theories for the origin of this. One was bats, one was snakes, right? Mm -hmm. And it was just interesting that I didn't even know the media even said anything about that. And I thought that's interesting. And I'm not saying we should trust the media. That doesn't prove the whole thing. Obviously not. But like sometimes when you're investigating a crime, you're only going to start with getting little hints of something. And then it takes more time to pull it, pull it all out and that's why the real scientific process where we would have people like you, Mike, and, and other guys who, if you've got credibility, you've got experience, you don't have any hidden agenda, you're here to try to find out what the truth is, it's good to have real peer review and real process to go through and try to pull it all out. 
And then who knows, we might even find an alternative to all of this that none of us even thought of. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, if we can let everybody know that's out there all kind of getting crystallized into their little camps about where there's at, we can't be divided in this movement to that level. We can have differences of opinion and debate it and discuss it and argue it, but let's stay unified on prosecuting these bastards, like getting this crime exposed Mm -hmm. and showing the facts and and also educating the public. Because what's happening now, my biggest fear, Mike, is that people that I'm thinking of in my mind right now that come from my friend or family circle who are, they never look into this stuff. They just follow the status quo. When I was, if I were to tell them, hey, there's a whole other world to come into alternative thought and you listen to these guys and then they go in and see, man, they're all at each other's throats too, fighting over this stuff. It's, it's like, it's hard to pull people in when the whole camp is already divided, right? Mm-hmm. And again, I'm saying divided, not in that we all have to think the same and that we can't debate, but that there's actually some pretty nasty uh, fights happening within our camp. And I think that's just natural too. Like we're all, everybody's stressed. Everybody's freaking out. Mm-hmm. We're all trying to find out the solution to this. And um, I can see how it got to where it is. But my goal is let's unite the clans, man. Let's but all the tents on the battlefield should be at, focused on the same enemy of deception here. Mm-hmm. And we need to put an end to this. And then if we could get some grand inquiries and some Nuremberg level trials of, of what really went down, then we can, you know, get right to the nuts and bolts. Um, and I think in the end, when I spoke to people like Dr. Artis and others, I'm also having a doctor, just for people listening, I'm having Dr. Tao Braun come on on Wednesday and he's got some interesting stuff on this, but you know, no matter what the point is, how can we help people? What are, what are solutions we can offer people right now, especially those that have taken the jabs because there's a lot of people that have regretted that and are freaking out because they don't know how to get this stuff out of their body. Um, maybe you can comment on your thoughts on that, but also just how we, how we can sort of unite people around the cause of let's keep our different theories but let's march together. Let's expose this dark force, this evil, this corruption, this criminality, whatever. Let's expose it together and mm-hmm. let's try to find the truth and not bite each other to bits in the process, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm 100% committed to finding the truth and em- empowering others to, to search for the truth as well. And, w- you know, whatever that winds up being, I mean, even if I look into something and I think I, you know, might understand what's going on. I guarantee it, you know, there'll be new evidence, some, you know, it'll change. And I think we just have to keep an open mind and really be accepting that there's, that we don't know everything. There's going to be new evidence that's going to come out. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it does matter the specifics, but I mean, like with the snake venom, you know, whether or not there's snake venom or, you know, in remdesivir or, for example, or that has anything to do there. I mean, it shouldn't take away from the fact that rem- no matter what, remdesivir is an incredibly toxic and deadly drug. Right, right. The problems inherent with all of this, whether that whether snake venom is part of the problem or not, are still there. I mean, we're still being, even the water, I mean, we're being poison there's so much junk in the water whether there's snake right. venom or not that's that's contributing i think to chronic problems with people i mean yeah obviously if there's a huge conspiracy with respect to specifically poisoning with snake venom 
we need to find out about that. But there's much, there's a lot of other stuff going on, as you've talked about with the, with the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of issues and really criminal activities that are occurring, you know, regardless of whether or not that's, that's the case. I think we shouldn't also lose focus on the, the main point there that we have this massive enterprise that's just trying to poison people and I mean, just for the sake of making profits and controlling people and, you know, yes, we should, oh, we should keep searching for the truth, but, you know, we also have to say, let's not lose sight of the, the main thing here, regardless of what the case is, the, the enemy is the enemy and they're, they're, what is their focus and, you know, they're, they're also going to keep coming at us in other different ways, monkeypox and other things. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we have to be, you know, again, we have to be kind of nimble to this stuff because it's going to keep coming. I agree, man. I agree. I love it. Final question for you, Mike. Um, with people, I'm sure you put a lot of thought into this, with people that have taken these shots that are trying to find ways. I mean, I had uh, a bunch of people come on and they're recommending different um, herbs, different supplements, different procedures, whatever. But have you thought about that? What you would recommend to people that regret taking this and are trying to detox themselves from these shots? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I should be necessarily giving um, that kind of advice, but there are a lot of good people that are, that have given some really good thoughts into how to detox it. I mean, I think that's probably the best approach, look for different kinds of detox strategies, ways that you can um, enable the body to to do to do that process. I mean, the, it's amazing what the, the human body can do if you just aid it in allowing it to heal itself. And you just got to find the right approach. It's also not necessarily going to be a one size fit, fits all. I mean, everybody, mm. you know, this industry, they want to be able to just blanket treat people with the same stuff when we are so unique. Um, and we, it's not going to be necessarily a one size fits all. You have to go and figure out what is going to be best to, to help you and help your body, um, get through this. Yeah, no, I've, that's, that's awesome. Um, do, do you have a website or are you thinking about doing any books or a podcast or anything? What, what's your plan moving forward since now? I mean, I'm guessing you're un, unemployed at this point, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, my big thing is how can I empower people to do their own research? I'm working on some um, resource to make science more approachable for people. And I've also started a community of scientists called Scientists for Health Freedom to try to get more people to encourage more people to speak out and, and find ways to support those that are, that are willing to speak out. Because I think just the more that do so, you know, the, the, it'll just keep amplifying what's going on and it'll be hard to ignore, um, you know, what's, what's gone on in science, in research that's led to this. I mean, we need to make sure that this does not happen again. I, I look at this from the standpoint of, are there things we can do to fix this right now? But also we've got to start laying the bricks. We've got to lay the work to make sure that this doesn't happen in the future. I, I have kids and 
I want to see enable something that can be long lasting beyond, you know, I don't care if I, in other words, if I see this come to a point where we've succeeded or not, I mean, in theory, it shouldn't because we need to affect long-term, the future generation, so to speak, this needs to be a lasting, uh, a lasting effect because we certainly didn't get where we are just from the last couple of years. This was probably hundreds of years of changing how we're, what we think and how we think and, you know, all sorts of indoctrination and things to, to lead up to this point where they could pull this wool over our eyes and get, you know, and so if we're going to undo that, you know, we've, we've, we've got to start now. Hopefully we can figure things out in the here and now and fight back. But we've also got to have an eye towards um, just, a you know, a, a long lasting solution too. Um, so that future generations have a, have a, any kind of a chance in this fight. Oh, I'm with you, man. I got two beautiful girls. Um, we all got skin in the game. That's why I get up every day and do this work. Uh, I salute you for doing what you're doing, man. And uh, do you, is there a site for that website you had about the science for freedom? Yeah. So it's, it's on, um, the main one is on telegram. It's just scientists for health freedom. Um, I have all, you guys all the doing. links. There's a flow code page. It's like, if you go to flow code thing, flow code page, and you put in scientists for health freedom um all the links will come up there i i have a kind of a blog that i've been putting things out that's called still in the storm um and i've got things i'm all around trying to see i can get kicked off of various social network pages and things as i shout out the truth from the treetop have you been banned i'm sure you've gotten flack not, not yet. I think I'm still probably too, too small to get noticed, but I'm certainly giving it my all because I'm going to speak out as, as much and wherever I can. That's for sure. <laughs> good, man. Well, yeah, get, good. You're on Telegram. I mean, all the bots there are crazy, but oh you my know, we got True Social, we got Gab, we got um, others, you know, uh, we're, we're going to be wherever we can. I try to go a little bit on Twitter and some of the mainstream just to not keep preaching to the choir. Yeah. But, um, and I've been banned off everything, man, just, just for <laughs> literally just for, I've covered all kinds of stuff, but when I started covering this and also the election fraud stuff back in the day, mm -hmm. I just got scorched from everything. And then, um, you know, but now I'm glad we have these alternative places to go. We have these platforms I can stream on right now. And we had this conversation and we can say whatever we want. Nobody's censoring us. And I think that's another movement here is the, the freedom movement. So we've got the truth movement within the science. We need to correct the flaws and all that. But then there's the freedom movement of let's protect free speech. Let's protect real scientific inquiry. Let's end this censorship age uh, of people just because you disagree with them. There's so many places in this fight that even people watching right now, if you don't know where you fit into this fight, there's a place for you. There's, there's a fight at hand here for the future of humanity, the future of freedom for our children, as you said. And we need to put all hands on deck. So I'll post those links. I'm going to follow that channel on Telegram. Still in the storm. I love that. You know, <laughs> it's, it's quiet in the eye of the storm. That's what we are. Uh, that's where you got your blog. I'll put all your links over on my channels to get the word out. And uh, Mike, this has been an awesome chat. You're welcome back anytime. And mm -hmm. please keep in touch with any kind of updates with your work as things move on. Eh? Yeah, will do. Thank you so much for having me on. It's I just I'm so grateful for for any opportunity to to speak out. It's been a 
wild ride in the last, I don't know, what is it? Almost nine months, I guess. Oh yeah. <laughs> it seems like a roller coaster ride that just doesn't want to end. Well, the last two, yeah. But look who we get to fight with, guys. Look who we've got at our back. We're not alone. The good There's good guys in town, too. The bad guys aren't the only show in town. They just get the best PR. But we're going to change that. And if we work together and we get the truth out there, the truth is going to win and freedom is going to reign. Mike, thank you so much. Uh, we'll have you back again. I'm going to leave people with my sponsor here. And again, I'm going to shout out all your links. And let's get in touch again soon, okay? Yeah, sounds great. Thank you. Awesome. My pleasure. Well, excellent, excellent uh, stuff there. And again, guys, look at this. More people are coming out of the woodwork from so many different areas by the day. And that's what happens when the lie gets magnified to such an extent. It forces the people doing the lying to lie even more, right? And during that process, even people who might not have noticed the first lie will notice the second or the third or the fourth. Look at where they're at with it. Look how desperate this monkeypox thing looks. You know, just everybody can see it in their own right. I'm talking to people on the street now that are that are starting to ask these questions. Obviously, there's the people that it feels like they're never going to wake up. But uh, don't focus on that. Focus on just doing you, putting the information out as you get it. Be passionate about it. Um, and we can win this. We can turn the tide. Look what we've already accomplished. I know sometimes it feels... I wake up some days too, and it feels like, wow, are we ever, are we still here? Are we ever getting out of this thing? But because we're exposing an age old system of corruption and tyranny and fraud and criminality, like you can't even imagine, um, that's not something that gets done overnight. So don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. You're fighting alongside fellow lions. I'm not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. Mike's clearly not going anywhere. And there's so many other great people that are, are behind us that are working towards this change. And I think, uh, I think in the end, uh, we're going we're gonna to win. So with that, guys, I just want to thank you for joining me. Just letting you know, I'm going to do an extra show this week. I'm really excited about it. As I was mentioning, Dr. Tao Braun, he's new for me. Uh, he was recommended and he's been taking the interview space by storm with some new information. So I want to hear him out on Wednesday. So I'm going to do a show on Wednesday at the same time, same place, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on these same channels. Join me back here on Wednesday. And I've also got some more exciting announcements coming up about Chapter 8 of Cult of the Medics, which I am now uh, knee-deep in and working really hard on. I've kind of waited a little bit with this and took my time because uh, there's just this is going to be massive. It's going to be massive. It's going to take every part of myself to make this one. So stay tuned for that. Um, and what else is I going to say? Oh, also go check out what's going on on Unslaved, uh, the premium podcast that I do with Michael Tessarian, unslaved.com. We've been doing some really, really interesting interviews, lots of good stuff coming up. So unslaved.com is the place to be. And with that, I wish you well, keep fighting hard, never give up. And, uh, I'll see you guys on the front lines. I'll leave you with my sponsor because without them, this wouldn't be possible, but thank you everybody. And we'll catch you again next time on Truth Warrior. Cheers, everyone. So we often talk about the need to create a parallel economy and get away from giving all of our money to a lot of these big multinational corporations. There are a lot of people out there who still give their money to Walmart, Target, Costco, etc. You know, all those companies that made it away with all your money during the pandemic and didn't have to close down while all the small businesses got totally crushed. Well, sad thing is we give these big corporations our money from cradle to grave. 
So what if a bunch of us little guys banded together and we all stopped giving these big guys our money? I've actually found a family-owned manufacturer that manufactures 100% of their products in-house in America and Canada and competes with these big box monopolies. This is a family-owned manufacturer that has intentionally built its business model outside of the system that these globalists have created with big box stores, national distribution controls, mainstream media, etc. So what if a bunch of us redirected our existing spending away from these big box corporations over to a family-owned alternative that does it right, makes their own products right from scratch? Think about it. Wouldn't you love to no longer have to rely on these big woke corporations? Now you can make that independence a reality and transfer your hard-earned dollars away from companies that despise our values and give them instead to family-owned, patriot-owned companies that believe in and support freedom. Thanks to patriotswitch.com forward slash truthwarrior. That's patriotswitch.com forward slash truthwarrior.